amen and amen. Thank you. Thank you, band. You may be seated this evening. Jesus, 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 we love you. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Amen. And amen. Tyler, if you can go ahead and uh, click the lights on for me, that would be awesome. Appreciate you. He's pulling double duty back there. <laughs> but uh, welcome this evening. You know, I'm glad that you've made your way into the church house tonight for first Wednesday. And, uh, you know, this is one of my favorite services that we have here at the church right now because you know why? The youth get to see the adults worship in here. And uh, we get to all be together and um, as one. And, you know, I'm thankful for that and, and the heart that goes and is behind it. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that the Lord has something for us this evening. Remember to be in prayer for our kids. Um, they'll be traveling back here at the end of the week here in a day or two, uh, back from home or back from home, back to home from camp. And, uh, you know, I know that the Lord's working in their lives and I'm so thankful they were able to go and I know it's hot. So please be in prayer for that. Um, it's super hot, but, uh, you know, as far as I know, we're, we're good, we're good there, but you know, just be in prayer for them as they come back. And then our teens next week. Um, we've got a few teens that'll be going uh, next week, and so please be in prayer for them. Uh, we head out on Monday, and uh, you know I know that the Lord is going to do a work in their lives. Uh, we've been talking about some things here and there in youth over the last couple months, and I believe that the Lord is just going to uh, use that as an extension. And I believe that he's going to have something for them in this next week. So please be in prayer for them. It's going to be another hot week, <laughs> another hot week. So uh, hopefully they drink a lot of water. Um, and if you are going to youth camp, I'm just going to use this platform right here. If you're going to go to youth camp, please meet me after church. We're going to have a little meeting five to ten minutes afterward uh, to just kind of go over some uh, particulars. Um, that will be happening on Monday. So please stay after church. Uh, parents, you're also invited. So I know I've got a few of them in here that will be going. So anyways, uh, are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to see what the Lord has for us tonight. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of the message, and this is kind of a little bit different for me, but, um, you know, I love the message, and I love the translation, and I'm going to be using that tonight, so I'm sorry if you don't have a message Bible, um, but we do have it on the screen for you tonight. Tyler will have it for you, and we're going to be starting in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and uh, I'm going to be starting there this evening, and the title of my message is The Unproven Sword, The Unproven proven sword. And we're going to be talking about that uh, in the moments to come. But in 1 Samuel chapter 17, it says, then Saul outfitted David as a soldier in armor. He put his bronze helmet on his head and belted his sword on him over the armor. David tried to walk, but he could not, or he could hardly budge. David told Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. And he took it all off. I know this is a passage that, you know, m most of us in here probably know and, and we've heard and we've seen it time and time again. But I want to talk about something this evening in this, in this uh, story, and, and I believe that God has something for us in this. But, you know, there's a preparation process that God puts every man through. There's a preparation process that he puts each and every one of us through. There is no immunity to God's school of progress. I want you to know that tonight. We learn a multitude of lessons in the various outlets of life, okay? We learn something new 
mostly every day. If you're like me, you're learning something new each and every day. But there's this thing called responsibility, right? It's responsibility. And, and uh, for some of us, sometimes it can be a little hard, right? But there's going to come a time in, li- in, in your life, and I'm sure it comes for most of us each and every day, but a time in your life when you will be skilled enough to pick up a sword, all right? But until then, use the tools that God has given you. Use the tools that God has given to you. You know, Wendell Phillips says responsibility educates. J.G. Holland says this, responsibility walks hand in hand with capacity and with power. Channing says every human being has a work to carry on within. Duties to perform abroad, influences to exert, in which no conscience but his own can teach. George MacDonald says, I find the doing of the will of God leaves me no time for disputing his plans. And Rembrandt lastly says, try to put well in practice what you already know. And in doing so, you will in good time discover the hidden things which you now inquire about. Practice what you know. I'm going to say that again. Practice what you know. And it will help to make clear what you do not know. You know, one of the things that robs us of fulfilling responsibilities to God and to ourselves is the fatal mistake of uh, fighting imaginary wars in our head, maybe building up some castles in our mind. And they ultimately mostly come to nothing, right? You know, there's a price tag that comes with greatness because greatness is not easy. It's not. If it was easy, everybody would have, you know, that greatness edge. But it's difficult. You know, highlights don't start at the free uh, free throw line. They start at the gym. You know, every shot that you take won't be a game winner. It will not be a game winner. Substance is not built on flash. There has to be some fire burning inside. You could probably go to a lot of the greatest athletes of all time and ask them, what made you better? What made you great? And the majority of them would say, there was some kind of fire burning in me. There was some kind of will. Like, I wanted to be great. I wanted to be the best of my ability. I wanted to be the greatest of all time. I want to be in the Hall of Fame someday. You know, greatness will teach you that failure will finally give up strength through determination. And painful hurts in life can be a motivation for you to be responsible. You know, because uh, at the end of the day, few things are God-given, right? Few things in life are God-given. Most of them you have to work for every single day of your life. You have to work for it. You have to practice it. Because greatness annuls excuses and pushes for excellence. Pushes for excellence. In 1 Corinthians 3 and 8, it says, Planting and watering are menial servant jobs at minimum wages. What makes them worth doing is that God is the God we are serving. You happen to be God's field in which we are working. Or to put it in another way, you are God's house. Numbers 13, and I know that I I spoke about this a couple weeks ago in a message, but Numbers 13 and 30 says, Caleb interrupted, called for silence before Moses and said, let's go up and take the land now. We can do it. 1 Corinthians 9 and 24 says, you've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs. One wins. 
So it says run to win. That final part of that says run to win. You know, there is a majesty that comes to us in the mundane. There's a majesty that comes to us in the mundane. You know, some never realize the power of the common and the ordinary routines of life. But it is here that so much is worked out by the hand of God. Some of the, you know, things that you don't even typically think of, the routines of, you know, every single day and the things that you do every single day in and out, right? From time to time. That is so much worked out by the hand of God, by the hand of God. But tonight we come to this particular text and we were talking about David earlier and we're going to continue to talk about him a little bit. But we come to this particular text and I feel certain that most of us have have heard this story, okay, of David and Goliath. It's a powerful story. It's one of my favorite, right? I'm sure it's many of your favorite as well, but it's a classic underdog tale. Classic underdog story that we all love. You know, it'd be a 10 out of 10 on on, uh, the, the movie database. I promise you that, right? It's great. But all of us can feel a part of that. Every single one of us can feel a part of this story. You know, because I think that maybe everybody in here has been in a place of their life where they felt that they were backed up against maybe the biggest obstacle, whether it been a trial, whatever it may be. Someone's been there sometime in your life, but you saw no other way to defeat the giant that was before you, right? You were worried about it. You were having a hard time with it. You were scared. You know, every generation has its own unique people who come along and they have the ability to change the nature and and maybe the direction of history with a single courageous act. You can look time and time again in the history books about all the different things that have happened, the people that have come before us that have changed something with just one courageous act because they aren't overwhelmed by the terrible cries of a bully. They also are not dazed by the intimidating array of firepower that he has. I guarantee you, little David, when he saw Goliath, right, he was probably like, in his mind, he's probably, wow, this is, this is a big dude, right? But they're not dazed by the intimidating nature of the person. They have fresh eyes of vision, unbroken nerves of faith, and a heart fired by godly zeal. You know, not only does that man have what it takes to maybe get involved in the act of courage to do what is right, but they have a history of victories that set them apart. They have walked with God. They have watched sheep when they were so weary that they could have fallen out. They know what it's like to find empty water holes and and browned out pastures. They know what it is to uh, sit up all night with, you know, uh, you know, the uh, an unborn lamb. They know what it's like to be careful and, and to be tender to a lamb that has been pulled from the jaws or maybe the claws of a predator. They have some dead bears, maybe some dead lions in their past. They have looked violent beasts right in the eyes and they were still standing. They might know the value of the working in the pasture. They know that special skills have come while they've battled predators with just a sling and a stone. You know, there are lessons that you're going to learn in a pasture that no school, right? No Bible college, no seminary, no college classroom, leadership seminar, book, whatever it may be, will ever educate you. 
But remember now that David had already been anointed the king of Israel. And know this tonight. But here's the deal. After his anointing, he went back to the pasture, not to the throne. After his anointing, he went to watch sheep, not in the courts of the palace. After his anointing, he went uh, to protecting the flock. After his anointing, he went back to the pasture to sing songs and, and write psalms. After his anointing, he went back to the pasture to learn how to worship and to be responsible. Because the anointing is never the factor. It's the worship after the anointing that becomes the leverage point of spiritual authority. So I ask you, you're a preacher, good. Are you praying or just preaching about praying? You're a singer, that's awesome, that's great. But can you worship when you're not leading? You know, you've had the Holy Ghost for 20 years. That's, that's awesome. That's, that's amazing. But are you still on fire? Are you still on fire? You've been going to church since you were a kid. I feel you there. But can you worship after you have been anointed? So what we do with that anointing in the pasture, in the obscurity, in the hidden place, hinges greatly on what takes place in the future. You know, there are so many people who have lions and, and, and bears, but they don't have any victories. Guys, we can't live like that. We can't live like that in a state of fear that we can't get through what's in front of us. You know, if the stone is going to pour out of David's sling like a bullet heading for Goliath's head, there has to be some preparation in the pasture. You know, there were hours of practice, hours and hours of practice behind the skill that David had possessed that he used the day that he fought it out with Goliath. You know, David had used that little sling so much that he had proven it. He had already tested on some very difficult um, times, things that were in front of him that were uh, big challenges. So when you get to the big, biggest challenge of your life, you cannot afford to change your weapons then. When you get to the toughest point and place in your walk with God or whatever it is ahead of you financially, physically, whatever it may be, you can't just decide then, I'm going to change my weapon. Because you have to be careful when you get around men that want to suit up or suit you up in their armor. You know, they don't know about your victories in the pastures. They don't know about your victories that you've already been through that you've already had. So furthermore, when you're trying to use the armor of unspiritual people, it can quickly turn into disastrous results. Think about that tonight. You know, a man after God's own heart can never fight in the worldly attire of an unbelieving king. Pastures prepare you for bigger battles in your life. The things that you go through, the things before you, the pasture that, that you have, that you've laid out on, prepares you for the bigger battles in your life. You know, when you gain a victory in the pasture, when nobody is watching, in a private setting, we discover that before victory can ever take place on a public battlefield, private battlefields have to be secured. Private battlefields have to be secured. We have to make sure that 
you know, before we can fight the big battles that we face in front of, you know, everybody or in front of, you know, the, the entire audience, we have to make sure that inside we're taken care of, that we're good to go. You know, while he was working that sling, God was at work on his heart. In fact, God was working in his heart in such a way that, that when David heard Goliath bellow for the very first time, it literally stirred a holy rage in, in, uh, inside of him. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You know, to see the things of God relegated to a lower place in the chambers of the soul. To see spiritual erosion taking place in the lives of individuals and, and corporate, uh, corporately in churches. To see preachers who once preached the truth now messing up on their message. To see longtime saints who begin to question the core elements of the faith. To see the church accommodating the spirit of the age and, you know, to see entertainment at the expense of exposition. It causes something to stir up inside of you. It causes something, a battle to stir up inside of you. You know, those same feelings should get into us here in this local church. When we see giants, when we hear giants that intimidate, that stand in front of us, that say, you know, you aren't getting through me. It puts people in a place of fear. There ought to be a, a cry, some sort of cry that leaps from us, some sort of willpower that, that comes behind us, that we're ready to take on the next challenge. We're ready to be there for somebody. We want revival. We want spiritual fire. We want red hot worship. We want heartfelt singing. We want biblical preaching that will stretch us that will do something for us. We want that, church. We want that. And if you don't want that, we've got to find that. We've got to find that. You know, Charles Spurgeon said, David's hallowed life became the reflection of the light and the glory of the Lord of hosts. It had not occurred to him in his meditations that base men would dare to challenge the infinite majesty of God or that proud adversaries would come forward and defy the chosen people of the Most High. And now that he hears the defiance and beholds the challenge, all his blood is up. You know, David was about to go into the battle of his life, for the fight of his life. And he refused to let the voice of Goliath deter him in any type of way, to cause him to begin living a lower life to please the enemy. Well, this guy is a giant. Nobody else wants to fight him, so, you know, I'm just going to, you know, not worry about it. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to go hide with the rest of them. You know, that can happen sometimes when we listen more to the giants than what we do of God. Sometimes that uh, can also happen if we neglect the word of God and it won't be too long before the voices of the giants start to creep in to your life and, and close off your relationship with God. But if you are praying if you are worshiping, if you are fasting, reading the word of God, you'll stand up when you see that nobody else is going to. I think that's one of the hardest things for us is to stand up when everybody else around us is sitting down. When everybody else is worried about, you know, 
other things other than godly things, than kingdom things. We can't neglect the word of God. We can't neglect praying. We can't neglect our worship life. We need the marks of the cross to settle into our lives, to allow the Lord to work in us and through us. You know, David had already tussled with lions and bears. And because he had the next battle would take care of itself. You know, you take care of your lions and bears and the giants will take care of themselves. Will take care of themselves. You know, when you descend into the valley, there's going to be some things that you will have to turn your back on. It's just how it is. Weapons, plans, ideas, gadgets that others may try to press in on you, you'll have to turn away from. Because if you look carefully, you will discover that there were, actual, uh, there were actually seven different swords in the life of David. Number one, the one we're talking about tonight, the unproven sword, the one offered by Saul. The second sword is the victorious sword. And the second sword came on the same exact day. The next one was the sword of the covenant. The third sword came about on the covenant between David and Jonathan. And it would have far-reaching effects on others in the future. The old sword, the one preserved in a place of worship that brought him the new victory. There was also the restrained sword. The fifth sword was restrained and it saved Nabal, a churlish man. The sword of uh, subterfuge. This sword is mentioned as the one who, that killed Uriah. And lastly, the sword of a son. The seventh sword is one David had to flee from. It was the one that probably troubled him the most because it was held by his son, Absalom. You know, all these swords in David's life are the separate sermons of themselves. Like we could totally go through the entire deal and, you know, have sermons on each of them. That would be awesome. But a lot of spiritual lessons come when we meditate on the word of God. But the one for now that we're talking about is the unproven sword. You know, and there's danger of taking up swords that you've never tested out or you've tried before. You can't just pick a sword up and expect to use it if you've never seen how it works. You know, it places you in a position of living beyond your own commitment. It can place you in a position of having to depend on your personal abilities. It might place you in a position of a certain spiritual defeat. You know, Goliath would have fared well if uh, David came down into the valley that day with Saul's sword. Your giants want you to do that as well. They want you to live in your own commitment, right? They want you to depend on your personal abilities. They want you to have a certain spiritual defeat. Because giants of sensuality, they shred the soul. Giants of worldliness destroy our testimonies. Giants of public opinion just asks us to blend in, pushes us to blend in, not be set apart. Giants of indifference, they move against our calling. Giants of apathy to our mission. Giants of unbelief in our God. There's so many giants that we face each and every day. But the giants that defy us aren't found in valleys. 
and they don't usually have the swords, shields, armor bearers, whatever it may be. Our giants might intimidate us at our workplaces, maybe the classrooms, maybe the hallways at school, the rooms of our homes, and sometimes even, yes, the churches that we worship in. You know, some weapons may appeal to others, and even to us at first, the nice, pretty, shiny sword that everybody else wants to use, I want to use it too. It's going to appeal to us. But if they are not tested, you need to back away from them. You need to back away from them. You need to watch out for what is coming into your soul and into your mind. You need to watch out for that pretty, that pretty, pretty shiny sword that nobody's used yet, the unproven sword. We have to let God choose our weapon for us. We have to master that weapon. We have to master that weapon. I'm going to close here in a minute. It says you can come on up here and play something. <clears throat> you know, God puts us in pastures so that we can become believers. You know, God put... David in that pasture so that he could fight the battle, that he could learn, that he could practice, that he could become a believer, that he could do anything with him. You know, there is faith that is involved in your walk with God. God took David, a man who believed and put a lion in his path, and then he put a bear in his path because David was a believer. David had faith. He slew the lion, he slew the bear as well. So when God decided that it was time, he put a massive, huge giant in his path. And David, what did he do there? He slew him as well. You know, if there's a severe crisis in your past life, stay with it. Because there are past victories. There are past victories and there will be future victories. Have a little faith in that. Because God never changes. He never changes. He still the same today and the church is his greatest concern of the hour Malachi 3 and 6 says I am God yes I am I haven't changed and because I haven't changed you the descendants of Jacob haven't been destroyed Hebrews 13 and 8 says for Jesus doesn't change Jesus doesn't change yesterday today tomorrow he's always totally himself he's always totally himself if you'll stand with me this evening you know there's something about ignoring swords and picking up what we know will work david told him i don't need that he told him i don't i don't need that i don't need your armor i don't need your sword it's too heavy for me anyway i don't need it i promise you so what did he do he walked down to the river he picked up five smooth stones and it only took him one because he had faith he had faith that god was behind him i'm gonna pick up five but i know you're gonna do it with one i know you're gonna do it with one there's significance in that but we don't have enough time to talk about it but ignore the unproven swords. Pick up what you know will work. Keep the faith in that. Even when, you know, it seems like there's nothing else that you can do. 
and I'm not just talking to you tonight, I'm talking to myself. We have to keep the faith. We have to keep the faith. Because without it, what are we doing? What are we doing if we don't have it? We have to stay on the path of righteousness. It's so easy these days to, to turn away. It's so easy on a Sunday to just, you know, not come to church or, you know, not gather together or not, you know, uh, uh, be here, not serving. It's so easy to just walk away from everything these days and just go do your own thing. It's so easy for that. But we have to stay on a path of righteousness. Our kids are watching. Teens, young, whatever it may be, they're watching as well. We have to do what is right. We have to do what is right. You know, the biggest blessing for your child, the biggest blessing for your coworker, the biggest blessing for a family member, whatever it may be, well, that's you would be to do what was right. You would do what was right. In your spirit and allowing God to work within you. And lastly, we have to stand for what the old fashioned church stood for. We have to stand on our ground. We have to believe that, you know, he can do anything. If there's a big Goliath in front of us, I can slay it because I know I've got God. Do not pick up the unproven sword. Don't do it. Don't do it. Allow God to give you what you need. Allow God to work within you in these moments. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you tonight, God, and I ask... Lord, if there's anybody in here that are struggling, God, if there's anybody in here that's that's just dying inside, that's hurting inside, Lord, that, you know, they're on their last leg, God. They can't do it anymore. God, I ask that you would just place your hands upon them right now. God, that you would wrap your arms, Lord, with your love around their body. God, I ask that you would just speak to them in these moments, God. God, that we would have an attitude like David had. That I don't need that, that sword, God. I don't need that other armor, Lord. All I need is what you have given me. All I need is, is that, that sling, God, in that rock, Lord. That's all I need. And I can slay anything. God, I ask that you would just be with us, God. God, in those moments of trial and those moments of error, God, in the, the moments, Lord, where, where we're just hurting inside, God, God, that you would be with us. God, and most of all, that you would help us to be there for one another. God, that we can serve you with everything that we have. God, because we know that we matter to you. God, and that we belong in this place. We belong in your family. We belong in your church. Lord, I love you tonight, God, and I, I thank you, Lord. God, I ask that we would just continue to learn, God. We would continue to grow, God, and you would give us the wisdom, Lord. God, and the grace and the mercies that you have for us. We love you. We're honored by you tonight, I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I know that it's a little bit earlier um, than what we probably expected.
But just know that God's got your back. Just know that God, you know, has instilled faith into our lives. And we have to prove it. We have to love him. We have to serve him. We have to believe that we can do anything. I know that's easy to say sometimes, but we have to believe that. And it may take a lot longer than what we want, but guess what? It's going to be on his timing. It's going to be on his timing. Amen.